This week and last week, as you know, I delayed us a week on really launching our capital campaign officially uh, for the building project because I just quite honestly, I struggled and struggled with a couple things. One, what the message should be, and I don't know how many times I've scrapped where I started and and went over. And then also for Jen and I, what, how we'll lead this in our own giving. And, um, you know, there's parts I still think are going to unfold over the coming weeks. I believe God's turning uh, this into a series. And I believe that by the end of it, he'll give me an answer exactly. I know that Jennifer and I have agreed to, to, to do every bit as much as what anybody in the church would expect them to do. But I believe God may challenge us to do much more. But I really begin to um, pour over um, the scriptures and pour over messages. And I told Jen that this morning um, she came in and I'd been up pretty early. And she came in and I said, you know, this is, I, sometimes I may use a little bit of somebody's sermon here or this or that or, you know, a couple times it's told you I've preached the whole sermon. Someone, I got permission to use somebody else's sermon. But um, literally there's five sermons involved <laughs> in this one today. And, and it was a, a challenge, but it, Literally, God in just moments began to formulate um, what he wanted me to speak to you today. And I need to get into that because we need time at the end to also pray. There's one thing I, I think about quite often lately, and I don't know if it's something that when you get in your 40s, you r- really start kind of reminiscing about childhood because maybe you're afraid you're going to forget those things later when it has your mind. It's hard to remember. But, you know, we were in Nebraska up until about sixth grade, I moved here. Uh, I can't remember what date that is. That's probably like late 80s, I'm guessing. I, I can't remember for sure. But, uh, you know, they it snowed pretty heavy. We'd get blizzards in Nebraska. And uh, there was a Catholic church behind where we lived, and they had a parking lot there. And the snow plows would come in, and they'd, they'd clear that parking lot. And there'd be a mountain of snow, at least in my memory. Now, things look bigger when you're a kid. But my memory, bigger and taller than this building, right? May not have been that, but um, I'm trying to think. Uh, the boys are in six, six, almost sixth grade, so close to where my boys are at. So maybe that mountain wasn't that big, but it was big enough that we built forts in it, dug tunnels. Um, fortunately, they ne- never caved in on us, but we'd dig tunnels through that. We'd, we'd go stand up there, and we'd actually go back with pencil and paper, and we would map out our plan for the tunnels and for the, for the top of it. And, of course, we had the bullies in the... The typical, like you watch the movies, there's bullies in the neighborhood that come and want to ride their bicycles up and crush the tunnels. And so we'd have to devise our weapons and our plans for defending the fort. And, <laughs> and uh, we go through that. So we'd actually have written plans. But, um, but there's one thing that me and my friend Derek that lived down the street, we made a good team. Because I've always been a dreamer and I can visualize things and I can see them how they should be. I'm not saying I can always uh, make them happen, but I can see them how they should be. Derek was one who could take and put the plan in action and actually produce something from the vision. And so we really, uh, we really worked well together in that because we'd come up, I mean, we built a fort above his uh, dad's garage that had a drawbridge door and all kinds of stuff and it got in trouble because we decided to defend it with electricity and stripped some wire bear and plugged it in overnight where when you went to grab the rafters to get up there, you made contact on both sides of the wire and forgot about it and his dad discovered it uh, the worst possible way (laughs) I never could figure out I would get a whipping from his dad I go get a whipping from my dad and he never had to come down and get one from my dad I always got double but um but I think about those things and and I've been connecting with my youth and and there's really a a God-shaped part of us that that is that dreamer and that that person uh that can visualize things but we can also lose that and that's what we've talked about from a couple Wednesday nights, we've talked about vision and, and hearing from God last week. But there's one thing in all of that, that there's a search involved in that. When you have a vision, it's not for any, just no reason. But there's always a purpose because that's our desire is to have a purpose. We all want to have a purpose. I, I, I believe that everybody in this room, whether you're highly um, engaged in what your work or whatever you do or whether you just could care less about that, but some area of your life, you have this deep desire to have purpose. It's why we volunteer for things. You know, people that are in volunteer fire department, on maps. You know, we, we look to, to serve, but we want our life to have purpose. And, and so when we think about that, we, we, we as believers know that our purpose really needs to line up with God's purpose for us. 
And so the title of the message is The Path to His Perfect Purpose. Purpose, or His Perfected Purpose. Now, we all know that we're not perfect, but God's purpose for us is perfect. I want to give you five pathways, if you will, or five characteristics to the pathway God has to a perfect or perfected purpose for you. So the five pathways. The first one is the plan. They're all going to start with P, so that would be easy if you're taking notes. The plan. Here's the thing. God never starts something he does not have where he doesn't have the end figured out. He never starts something without the end in mind. The whole story of the kingdom of God, and man, there's, there's a beginning to it and an end. God may not have a beginning to him, but to anything he puts his hand to and puts his power to, there's a beginning and there's an end. It, eternity, eternity is one of those anomalies for us because there is no end to the eternity for us, but we have an end to our purpose here, and then we have a beginning and I'm sure many different kinds of ends in eternity to purposes he gives us. When I look at this, thinking about God never starting something without the end in mind, I think about Psalms chapter 39, verses 4 and 6. In the ESV it says, O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Why do you think he's saying that? What do you think the desire behind that is? What happens when we think too much of our, ourselves, right? When we think that we've, we're bulletproof. When you're younger, you know, I've got this picture I've told you about before, and it's me uh, sometimes going, well, I think in that one I'm not, but there's times I went face down, repelling, down a 300-foot cliff over the Buffalo River. Now, I look at that now, and even though I was in shape, I'm like, are you crazy? What, why would you take a chance? Why would you do that? You trip and, and plant your face, plant your face in that, in that uh, cliff and you're going to die. And, and so when we're younger, sometimes we, we don't think we have any possibility of an end. But he says, let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, just a few hand widths. And my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And then the message version, it's a little funnier version to this. It says, tell me what's going on, God. How long do I have to live? Give me the bad news. You've kept me on pretty short rations. My life is a string too short to be saved. Oh, we're all puffs of air. I like that version on this one. Oh, we're, we're all shadows in a campfire. Oh, we're just spit in the wind. We make our pile and then we leave it. That's the message version. So in our vernacular of today, I mean, really, it's we ain't nothing but a chicken. We ain't no thing but a chicken wing, right? We, we ain't, we're not any more significant than that chicken wing we ate for lunch because in the end, this body is going to waste away and all the temporal things we've amassed around us and all these little dirt piles we've dug out over here to build a church, in the end, all that's going to be gone. The temporary will be gone. I think also about Psalms, um, Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, in the English Standard Version, it says, so teach us, to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. That means in realizing how short your time is, you gain wisdom. I've mentioned about deathbed confessions. I mentioned about being with someone who, who knows that they have very short time. Things become very clear to them about how important uh, cars are and money and the other wealth and all that stuff because in the end, it's not them that's fighting to keep that. It's their relatives, right? When they pass, everybody's fighting over the stuff because their time wasn't done. But the person who's laying there on the deathbed could care less about all that stuff if they could just have two more days to speak into their family's life or three more days to tell everybody they love them or whatever it is. And then we see in the Genesis chapter 1 account, the creation account, you look at the beginnings and the endings that God created. He created light, but then there needed to be an end to light. Why couldn't God make it light all the time? Well, because apparently he had a plan for the plant life and knew that everything needs a little rest, and too much sun is not good for 
all of his creation. And so he, he had the end in mind when he started creating light. And, and what about the fish in the water? Oh, we have water, let's put fish in it. And you know what? There's, there's going to be land, let's have animals for that too. But everything had a beginning and end. All the way up to even when he created man. Because men, he created women. He knew that we we're going to have an end, right? <laughs> Teasing some of you aren't. Got to wake up. But there was beginnings and ends. He, he had the end in mind. And here's the thing. Um, one of the messages that I, I used some material from, uh, Brian Jarrett uh, did a series called Terminal, which I, I hope to ask him to borrow one day and, and let's go through that whole series. But, but they, they set up their church like an airplane terminal, like an airport terminal. But, but playing off that word that really we all know that we're terminal. We are all terminally ill today. Everyone in this room is terminally ill. It's just a matter of how long it will take to get there, right? Whether you live to be 110 or whether you live to be 50, it's once appointed for man to die, and we don't know that time, but God knows, and he's the one that holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave, so only God can release our life into eternity. And so we're all terminal. Think about tombstone. You have t dates on tombstone, right? You have a beginning and you have an end date. But there's a dash in the middle. And really, when you think about that small dash, think about how significant that dash is. Here's the birth date, there's a death date, but think about what that represents, that little dash. Think about someone who's lived to be 100, what that dash represents. All the experiences, the children, the grandchildren, the, the traveling, the businesses, the jobs, the things they created, the things that they ruined, all those things, all in that little dash. It's the path to the purpose that is never fully revealed until the end. Most people are not fully appreciated for who they were until you're at their funeral and all the nice things are being said. Because at that time, unless people are just cantankerous and they are really hard to get along with, people are willing to let those things go because, listen, everybody's got problems and everything. But this is the time to think about the good things. This is the time to remember the legacy that they left. And so we have to ask ourselves this question as believers. Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things that you're living for right now, are they worth Christ dying for? Or are they just worth filling your pockets or filling your fancies or whatever it is? Is it worth Christ dying for? Are you living like you're leaving? Or are you living a life like you're not really staying here forever? You know, are you counting every moment? Jesus was so revolutionary because he lived like he was leaving. He didn't come, stay, you know, come with the idea he's staying forever. He came temporarily for a purpose, a perfect purpose. And he knew that his time was short, so every conversation mattered. Every person he talked to mattered. He didn't waste time because there wasn't time to waste. Three short years of ministry and they killed him for who he was and what would happen if we live like Jesus like we're living like like we're not staying here I'll give you I'll give you a very silly example of how frustrating this can be when you when you really put in perspective and you're not living like Jesus when when my family got five of us three of them are littler than the other two and they have littler experiences little a little less time than we have and we go through a drive through Jen knows where I'm going through this. These are recent examples, right? This never ends. And we have discussion. Now, I'm going to tell you about the last one. No. Well, no. This is how it goes. We're getting ready to pull up the drive-thru. Everybody has been to this restaurant before. It is Sonic. We have, this is not the first Sonic that we've been to. Everybody knows, familiar pretty much, because you order the same thing every time, even after you stare at the menu for 15 times, so for 15 minutes. So we know. There's going to be a line of cars behind me. Look how busy it is. And it's getting ready to rain. This was very recent. It's getting ready to rain. We have the dog in here with us because it's day off. And so there's a lot of things that dad's dealing with. And I need everyone to know what you're going to order when we get there. So this is your choices. And I gave them only a few. Okay, we think we have it going. We pull up there to the drive-thru. And, and here becomes the switching our minds. And I'm standing there and there's cars behind me. And then the downpours come so hard. It doesn't rain just on my side of the car. The dash gets wet on the other side and that window's closed. And I'm drenched, I'm cold, the dog is now in my face because he's wanting to get out and play in the rain. And, but here's what happened before that. We go through, I finally get frustrated. I said, you know what, we're leaving. I pull out of there, and I was like, we're going to pull in a spot until everybody figures out. Well, I'm in the big 
cowboy Cadillac. I can't get in one of those spots with all the cars. So we make a loop around. Well, we were only a few cars behind when we first went through. The time when it rained, we ended up waiting five more cars. And I'm fully frustrated because this isn't the first time this happened. This is multiple, multiple times. There is a frustration about not having an idea of the end in mind of where you're going. It's like when you're driving down the road and nobody can decide on a restaurant or everybody's got a different in mind. And I say, listen, I'm pulling over and parking here because I'm not driving. And everybody gets frustrated because we're sitting in a parking lot. Everybody's hungry, but nobody make up their mind. I say, I'm not moving. I, I can pick a place, but that's not going to make everybody happy. So we're sitting here. Oh, this is stupid. You know what's stupid is not having any direction and just driving, not knowing where you're going. That's what's stupid. And here's the interesting thing about that principle, about it being frustrating, about, about, about traveling somewhere or headed somewhere without the end in mind. It, is that it's like people, if you're around people who have no direction in life, who, who, who don't have a sense of purpose, have no direction. Um, they, they literally... When, when they are in that spot, they're going nowhere, uh, they change jobs often. And, you know, it's that person that's had 15 jobs in a year, and every time it was the boss this or boss that. And, and you're, you're like everybody else, you know, it's not the boss. You've had 15 jobs in a year that you've left. It's not them, it's you. You can't seem to be happy, you can't seem to work with other people, whatever the issue is, but, but there's no sense of direction, no sense of purpose, and they're just going from one thing to the other, and they're miserable and tend to make other people miserable around them. And so having direction, having the end in mind, it's important for God, it's important for us as believers, as a church. Secondly, the second pathway, provision. He uses his people and their resources to prepare for the end. He builds his temple from the pennies of a widow and the wealth of kings. He uses his people for provision. We think about the widow's offering. Remember I mentioned that before, the widow that came in to, to give and she had all, gave all she had, just two, the widow's might, two small coins. And Jesus took note and said, she's given more than all these other people because it's all she had. And then we think about uh, when the King David began to prepare to build the temple. Now here's the thing. His son Solomon was the one that actually got to build it. King David didn't even get to build it. But he amassed all this that he prepared. He had, well let me just read to you because this story is worth us taking time to just read through. Um, on in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals. It is for the Lord God himself. Using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for the building of the temple of my God. Now there is enough gold, silver, bronze, iron, and wood, as well as great quantities of onyx, other precious stones, costly jewels, and all kinds of fine stones and marble. And now, because of my devotion to the temple, my God, I am giving all my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his holy temple. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold from Ophir and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? That's pretty powerful. Tom, I lead by example. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about... Listen, I'm giving a huge amount of my wealth and I'm doing it because I'm challenging you, God's people, who's going to join me. He's talking to paupers, he's talking to businessmen, he's talking to us. And then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains, this is what it says, verse 6, the captains of the army and the king's administrative officers all gave willingly. For the construction of the temple of God, they gave about 188 tons of gold. So it sounds like they're trying to catch up to their king. They're trying to match up to their king and, and his generosity. And then it goes on. For, uh, they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, and 3,750 tons of iron. They also contributed numerous precious, precious stones, 
which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. And the people rejoiced over the offerings they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and King David was filled with joy. You know, it doesn't end there. We, we will read on, if we went on uh, and read further, it gets to where it was kind of tradition in something like this, a billion temple, that they give a choice bull in sacrifice. King Solomon, I mean, King David says, let's give a thousand. And his advisor was probably like, now listen, I mean, 10, 15, 20, that's excessive. A thousand, that's crazy talk. I mean, that is, that you've already done all this other. Why would you give a thousand bulls? And here's the thing. He's not even the one that gets to enjoy being in that tent, or building that temple. Solomon is. It's like what a governor, I think Governor of Michigan was quoted as saying, sometimes leadership is planting trees under whose shade you'll never sit. You know, I think about the groundwork Pastor Jim did, Pastor Roger did. You know, Pastor Jim's gone on for his eternal reward. Pastor Roger is on staff at a church in Indiana, and, you know, he's not here to be able to enjoy watching that dirt when they rolled it up like carpet. That's an awesome feeling after what we've been through. As we turn our attention back to the story of David, we witness him doing, what he's doing is he's planting a tree under whose shade he will never sit. What I'm referring to is the preparations he made for the temple that, that was not, he was not allowed to build. And we go on and on about the story of David and, and how the temple was built by Solomon and what he provided. But, but David set Solomon up so well for, for this task to be done. And, and we see in this that the Lord, when you set out uh, to let him uh, send you on the path, that he uses his people and resources and that he will be with you. And that the Lord will give you discretion and understanding, but, the, but you must follow the Lord's commandments. You can't say, Lord, someone else will build it. Someone else will give to it. Someone else will do it. You have to say like David did, what can I do to do abundantly and beyond what anyone would expect me to do? It doesn't matter whether I'm going to be the one to actually get out and build it. It doesn't matter if I'm going to be here two years from now and be sitting in that temple enjoying it. The fact of the matter is, it's God's work. I want to be a part of it. I'm willing to go all in. He opened huge quarries under the city of Jerusalem where magnificent white limestone could be pre-cut in huge blocks to fit exactly in the place at the temple. So, I mean, to great lengths. He paid for it and he also provided the, the materials and the, and the labor and so much goes into it. So God was so pleased, he granted Solomon later wisdom and a whole lot more. Now Solomon does mess up. In, we, do, we do see in the story, Solomon uh, does mess up and he... He doesn't exactly end up uh, like he could have. But then we also see another story that I want to bring to your attention. So we had the widow with the widow's might. We had uh, David and King Solomon. But then when we get to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, we see where Jesus has a woman come and anoint him with precious oils. More than a year's wages. And Judas, who you know, calls him out that he'd been stealing from the, the, the church money, and so he's frustrated. He says, well, how, I'm paraphrasing, how ridiculous. She could have sold that and given the money to the poor. And what I learned was when we get this religious spirit that, that keeps us from wanting to give to God, it usually comes in the form of diversion to make us look good, right? Oh, but there's such a, a much better opportunity for this. Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful thing. Now, now here, I've, I've preached on this before, and even within past probably three, four months on this. But listen, I was listening to a sermon, and I, I never really thought of this before. But this, the timing of what Jesus went through, they, they weren't likely, you know, taking off and going to the little rest stop and getting showers and getting, you know, getting to shampoo their hair and do all this stuff. I mean, there's a pretty quick, quick progression because Jesus was killed and buried not long after this. And we know that the story, how it's preached many times, that literally she was preparing him for burial ahead while he was still living. That was her sacrifice. But here's the deal. In this time, that perfume would have been so uh, uh, aromatic. It would have been, the aroma from that would have been floating out, and people literally would have been saying, what is going on in there? I mean, they would have recognized the expense of that smell. 
And here's the thing. It would have permeated and got into Jesus' hair so much because she poured it over him that literally when he's standing on trial and he's getting ready to die and they're beating him. When they put the crown of thorns on his head, that smell had to be just permeating everywhere he went. That sweet, expensive smell in the midst of all the horror and the trauma. And I believe what it was showing is there is a beauty. There is a sweet aroma to when a, a sacrifice is poured out extravagantly. Poured out in such a way that, that it's so costly that you couldn't even imagine you know, being that person to, to take that year's wages and just pour it out over Jesus. That literally, likely to the time when he was on the cross, the scent of that expensive perfume was probably still permeating the air. The third path is period. Just the punctuation mark, period. Here is the one, God, who puts the period at the end of your story. He's the one that has the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and no one can say when you leave this earth but him. The end never comes without a finish. There are so many things in my life that I wish I would have finished. There are some things in my life that I've had to bring to a close, and, and I've done that. And the thing I struggled with is not one to let go. I wanted to finish what I started. And God's moved me on. But with God's things, there already is a finish to every end. Sometimes in the natural, when we start a job, maybe we don't have a finish to our end. The job just ends. Maybe in some marriages, there's sometimes an end. It never really finished. The, the fighting and the arguing continues on after. They think the divorce is going to fix that, and it just keeps going. See, with God, when he ends something, there's a finish attached to it. And with a finish, there's the peace that you can move on. In John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30, we see in the death, death of Jesus, it says in verse 20, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, he said, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up his spirit. Even ushering in the new covenant that would offer salvation to you and me, every Jew, every Gentile, from here on out, there was a finish at the end. Here's the fourth one. People. People. It's always about the sought. And I'm borrowing that word from Pastor Brian too because I think it's a much better word than the lost. I think it's a much better word than the unsaved. The sought. Because it really describes who they really are. They're the ones that Jesus, he's seeking to save the lost or the sought. And every time that God starts a plan, it's always about people. He never starts any plan. There's never any finish. There's never any provision given where it's not involving people. He is the one who puts the period at the end of your story. He's the one also that, that seeks to save you. So it's about people. And then fifth, place. Place. The end is always a physical place and a face-to-face it's always a physical place. Here's the deal. We, we can look at what, what's going on at New Song right now as there's just a piece of property and just a building going up. And you know what? King David could have looked at the temple, that physical building, that physical piece of property, and looked at it as just something that just has to be done. It's just There's nothing special about that. But when God gets involved, because here's the thing. We keep looking at heaven as this, this floating in the clouds. And all, but you know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God doesn't intend for this earth to... To be, done, to, to be done forever. There is going to be an end to what we know now. But there will be a new beginning. It's always about the sop, but it's always about a place. The children of Israel were on their journey to the promised land. Noah, the journey to the ark. Everywhere you go through Scripture, there is a physical place that God is trying to take His people to, and it's a place of rescue, it's a place of refuge, and a place to commune with Him. Every time. 
think about the conversion of Saul because it wraps up two of those points about the, the sought and the place. When Saul was on the road to Damascus before he became Paul and Jesus encountered him, it was a face-to-face. Keep in mind, he's the only one that had seen that way. The other disciples, the other ones that were considered apostles, had actually walked with Jesus. But Paul, who had been persecuting the Christians, has an up-close encounter, personal uh, confrontation with Jesus, and, and he ends up changes his name to Saul and becomes the one who starts the New Testament church. But it had to happen somewhere. And the Damascus Road was the place, the destination, destination God had in mind. We also see that, that there's a judgment seat of heaven that we're heading to, that we all have to give account for what we're doing. There's still going to be a place where we have to reckon for what we've, what we've said and done or not said or not done. And here's the thing, New Song, we are on a journey together. It is people, yes, but, but this is very much a spiritual journey that, that God has got a place for us, but he's got a specific path of getting there. You know, clear back when I think back to Gamble Elementary School, us meeting there, had no idea what the future held for us. Had no idea. But I could see that God was doing something there. I knew, just as I could visualize that, that snow mountain, and the tunnels that go through it, I knew there's pathways being built here at this church. I know there is, and God's taking us somewhere. And every time we had to get up on that Saturday morning and go, and when it's cold and you forgot your gloves, and you're grabbing these metal pipes that about stick to your hands, and you're unloading the trailer going into school, and as soon as service is done, you're waiting until everybody has their, their time of fellowship, and then everybody that's on the main crew packs up and puts in the trailer every weekend for three years. And I think about here. You know, we came into this real place. We, I remember going around Pastor Roger trying to find a place just for a permanent home where we could leave our stuff, turn a key, and it's there when we come back, right where we left it. And that was part of the path. God was building pathways. And now here we stand. We're, we're getting ready in, in prayerfully eight months to be moving to a new campus. But you know what? That's not the end. When we finish here, when God has the end here, we're not, we're, we're not finished. This is finished, but we go to a new place. And, and God, when he blesses there and we add on to that building and we grow and we re- reach more people, God started new song with the end in mind. He knew that one day when Jesus comes back, that there's only so much time for us to reach the people he has planned for us to reach. He has divine encounters, divine appointments for us already set up for the future that if we'll keep moving forward, he's got the pathways for us. Andrew's prepared a video for us, and I wanna, I'm going to come back after the video. In our last few moments after that, we're going to talk about how God is going to move us from here to there. New Song started with a pretty simple vision to experience God's presence through contemporary worship and relevant preaching, to provide a place where anyone can come and feel at home, to provide opportunities to build relationships, to invest in our future by providing safe and relevant children's ministry and restore God's lost sheep and wayward sons and daughters to their Heavenly Father. You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people, you're the lord of this nation, you are, you're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are, there is no
Father, flow out from this place to breathe life into those whose hearts are dead, to heal bodies that are sick beyond the doctor's skill, to break off the chains of addiction and hurt to the past, to provide families for the orphans and the widows, to mend broken marriages and give peace to troubled homes, and to help God's lost sheep find their way back home to Him. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Yes, thank you, Jesus. We're thankful, Lord that today we have been on this long journey that you've led us on, but today is really the beginning, Lord. It's a new start, a fresh start, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so that I can make it through this, I got to say something funny. You notice Andrew made sure he got a lot of pictures of him in there. <laughs> And there's one of him raising a wall. I was there. That's the only thing he did, actually, is raise that one wall. I'm kidding. <laughs> the rest of the time, he was on his phone. All right. Thank you, Lord. All right. Here's, here's what I've been pouring over. I've been waiting to tell you. Is we started out with the premise that we were going to be able to raise $100,000 during the first year of the capital com campaign. That we borrowed 800000 hoping that we only spend 600000 or less. And that the church would already had $100,000 that we had saved up to be able to put down. But God challenged me that, you know, that's, that's our part and what do we expect of God. And so I started pouring over that. And I believe that, that God is going to help us to raise $100,000 in the next 12 months. And he's going to match it. That, that miraculously, from other sources, some ways, that if we'll commit to that, that God will help us raise another 200000 And that in five years we'll have this building paid for. And that's what I'm believing for, that in five years from this June that we'll be burning the mortgage on that first phase. And so I want to tell you that while in God's economy, the numbers don't have to add up, I just want to tell you that, that I needed to give you a guidepost um, of, of what, would, what would it take for this church, just currently who comes here, what would it take for us to raise $100,000 in 12 months? That's 40 homes at $2,500 in a year. To raise that's twenty five hundred dollars for 40 homes now i'm not telling you that you can't be a part of it if you can't do that because i've i've got some pledge forms and there is a spot for that pledge god may challenge you to do more than that he may challenge you to do less than that but i told you last week i want you to pray and believe jen and i have already filled out our twenty five hundred dollar commitment and it will be it will be a sacrifice on our part but i will tell you that i don't think that that's all that god's going to have us do I'm still pouring and praying over it because I don't think he's left me alone about it. But I had to do something today. And I told God, I said, I know at least that you spoke my heart. We're gonna, we wouldn't ask you to do anything that we won't do ourselves. And so there is another spot in there where you can put you know, an amount. You pray about it. And so I want to take just a few moments for us, if you're with your spouse or with family members, for you to just lock hands and pray. And, and especially if you have someone else here with you that, that's in your house where they'd be part of that, then for you to both pray that God gives you a number. And, and here's the thing. Not only do I believe that that $100,000 is going to come, I believe another 100000 is going to come from somewhere. I mean, I'm putting myself out on a limb too because if God doesn't, you know, I'm going to look pretty silly if God doesn't show up, right? So, but I believe he can do it. And what that's going to provide for us is once we get the building built, besides paying it down, is we've got furniture, sound equipment, lighting. We've got all kinds of things that have to be purchased in the building. And so it's really going um, really to be a matter of just what God decides to do through us, what we can do. And so here in a minute, I'm going to hand out these pledge forms. Well, actually, let me go ahead and do that now, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in prayer. And if you can't fill it out today, you want more time to pray, that's, that's fine. But we'd really like to, to know, kind of going into the first part of June, uh, where everybody's heart is at, where their, their pledges will be at. So 
If I could get um, Andrew, do you mind helping hand these out? So I, I'd like everyone to have one, but the the $2,500 pledge per 40 households, it's 39 when you take Jen and I's out. Um, you, only need, you only need to fill out, if that's what you feel like the Lord's leading you to do, then you only need to fill out one per household. But if it's a different amount, then we just want everybody to be able to pray about what they can do. So I'm going to just challenge you. You can move around if you want, but in the next um, next five minutes or so, I just want us to, to get together and pray. If you uh, are not here with your spouse and you want someone to pray with, Jen and I would be glad to pray with you or if you just want to spend time yourself. But let's just take a few moments and ask God to, to speak to our hearts about what he'd have us give. Imagine 
as you pray and, and get that answer from God, whether it's today or next week, you're probably going through many things I was going through. Well, God, um, I know what the bills are. I know what I know what we give now. And to do that above and beyond what we already give, God, I don't know how we're going to do that. But, you know, I'll be tell you, I'll tell you during worship, you start just downloading things to me. It's like, you, you've got things to sell. <laughs> and that's that's what I've been talking to my wife about is I, I believe God wants us to really put ourselves on the line. And I think we'll be talking to you guys a little more about that as we let the Lord speak to us. But um, I can tell you this, I'm all in. You know, I receive my income from pastoring here, but it's God's. It doesn't matter. I'm in the same spot you are. Everything I own belongs to Him. So um, if you already feel like God's spoke to your heart, uh, you know, you're not limited to one commitment form if he changes it later and you you want to put a different one in but uh if anyone's prepared today then i just ask you to fill that out and uh maybe i can have andrew if you don't mind get one of the baskets andrew will just pick them up here in a few minutes but just take time to fill that out if if you need to take it with you that's fine but we really need to know what god is speaking to your heart because i reached out to uh brian jarrett since i was using a few of his messages parts of them today told him my dilemma and seeking God and you may not know his story I've alluded to it that God moved on him at one point to, to help a church his church pay off debt he went a year without an income without a salary and I was just asking questions I said you know how did you know I mean how did God reveal that to you and you know just really trying to get a, a bead on that and uh, you know one caution he gave to me that I thought was very wise he said you know you want to be careful that you don't do anything from the power of suggestion because if God orders it, he'll pay for it. But he's not obligated to pay for anything if you do it out of either selfish ambition or, or because someone else is doing I told the story about my boys before competing about who was going to give more to missions. It's not about who else is giving what. It's what God speaks to your heart. And you have to know. You just have to know. You have to get that peace in your heart that you know. God, God is stretching you. And, and listen, when we, anytime we've given sacrificially, it is one of those moments like, are you sure, God? <laughs> are you sure this is you? Because I sure don't want the enemy messing me up. But you know what? Every time that we've stepped out of faith and we've done something that we're not sure how that's going to work out, God's always worked it out. I told the story over and over again, but one Christmas when our kids, you know, we've been so busy with ministry, we wanted to give them a good Christmas, but they started circling things out of catalog that were like, yeah, for that, that's like five or five hundred bucks for for the boys, and I mean, we just we couldn't afford that. You know, we got a phone call. You think after you tell us how many times they get you, but we got the phone call. But not only did God provide those things, but it was the exact brand, it was the exact things they had picked from another source. Someone didn't even know. We were able to give them exactly what they asked for. God will take care of your concerns when you take care of His. And I know God is very concerned about us being all in. That this isn't just a building. But this is the temple. That the Holy Spirit is going to minister to lives and change lives through that facility. Lord, we thank you and praise you as, as we make our commitments, Lord, or we take them home to pray about them, that God, you'll lead and guide us. But Lord, you know how hard it was for me to write $2,500 down for 40 households that I understood that, that we're... We're not a bunch of wealthy people here, Lord. That we're we're all just trying to make ends meet. And God, if you move on someone to do more than that, God, I pray you'll bless the giver, no matter if it's two pennies or if it's a thousand bulls. That Lord, we know that when we give our everything, Lord, that you bless. We thank you for it and praise you for it in Jesus' name. If you don't mind, one more time, we'll just give it a chance if anybody's filled theirs out.
love y'all and um, just uh, thank you for being here today and keep praying that God will keep leading and guiding you. Uh, anytime I've made a pledge to the Lord, there's times it comes in last minute. Garage sailing, selling stuff, you know, I just, you know, Lord, you got to help me and he, he provides miraculously. So I'm trusting he'll do the same for everyone. Thank you.